You're about to listen to a true story told live because this is True Stories Live. Brought to you by LJ Hope Productions, Norwich Arts Centre and me, Molly Naylor. The wonderful Siobhan and Ruth. Hello, I'm Ruth and this is Siobhan and we've been friends on and off for the best part of 50 years. We decided not to tell each other in advance what we're going to say tonight, just that we would each speak for six or seven minutes and uh, about the last 50 years and how it's led to this point now. Other than that, we have no idea what each other's going to say, so it's a bit nerve-wracking. It was only a couple of days ago that it fully hit me, just what it means in terms of our friendship to be doing this. And it's massive, because what it means is this, that for probably the first time in 50 years of knowing each other, I get to talk uninterrupted and Siobhan has to listen. It may only be for six minutes, but this is six six minutes in 50 years. It is huge. The other realisation I had actually just a second ago was that scary though it is to be doing this, I'm not half as scared of talking to all of you as I am of Siobhan and what she might be about to say. Because when you've known somebody this long, there are so many things that could come out. I've lost count of the number of times over the years that we have solemnly promised each other we will never speak of this again. (laughs) The unbreakable vow. To be honest, I wouldn't be surprised if we ended up saying it again this evening. (laughs) We will never speak of that night at True Stories Live again. (laughs) We've known each other since junior school, but even at the age of eight, Siobhan was definitely the wrong crowd. She was constantly in trouble. And she had absolutely no qualms about bringing me down with her. It's not like that now, of course. It's not like she gets me into trouble. It's not like we end up our nights out together, banged up in a police cell or anything like that. But she does still trouble me, always. And she does it by constantly pushing me to do things I would never normally consider doing. Things way outside my comfort zone. She has supernatural powers of persuasion. It's incredible. Do you remember Yuri Geller? The man who could bend spoons just with the power of his mind. That is Siobhan. Siobhan is Yuri Geller, and I'm the spoon. (laughs) And the most perfect example, of course, of all of this is the fact that I'm here now. Not something I was ever intending to do. In fact, I'd go further. This is something I've actively been intending never to do. So I thought I'd take a look at how she did it. It started a few years ago at True Stories Live. Here, in fact. Well, not here. There. We were there, where you are. I love there. (laughs) I miss it. (laughs) We had a really lovely evening together, admiring how brave people were getting up to speak, but securing the knowledge that that was other people, not us. And that would have been fine, great, just to leave it like that. But a couple of days later, Siobhan contacted me and said, I'm thinking of doing the next True Stories Live workshop. How about it? 
Now, just a point on punctuation here, because I'm a fan of punctuation. <laughs> I'm pretty sure that when most people hear the words, how about it, they imagine them with a question mark at the end, don't they? How about it? It's just not like that when Siobhan says, how about it? It is not a question. There's not a hint of an inflection. It is, how about it? It's a statement. And that statement says, and you're going to do it with me. She has form in this. I remember at school her saying, I'm thinking of stealing a Yorkie bar from the shop after school. How about it? Or in more recent years, I'm thinking of going on a clowning workshop. How about it? Or even, I'm thinking of putting on a show. But what it really needs is a female double bass player. How about it? The fact that the idea of going on a clowning workshop made me want to curl up into a ball and cry. The fact that I'd never touched a double bass in my life was completely irrelevant. <laughs> so I went, I stole the Yorkie bars, I went on the clowning workshop, I took up the double bass and countless other things. <laughs> countless other things she suggested over the years. And of course they all turned out to be brilliant ideas and great fun. And that's the thing. Sometimes her ideas are pure genius and turn out to be the best fun I've ever had in my life. And sometimes they turn out to be something that we will never speak about again. <laughs> Intermittent reinforcement, they call it. It's a well-known psychological technique for reinforcing behavior patterns. They've tested it on rats. <laughs> sometimes rewarding the rat with tasty treats for pressing a particular button and sometimes giving an electric shock. So that in the end, the poor rat is so confused that they end up just frantically pressing the button forever in the hope that they're going to get another tasty treat. Anyway, back to True Stories Live. Siobhan says, I'm going to do the workshop, how about it? To which I naturally say, no, Siobhan, absolutely not. This is not something I want to do. Wild horses wouldn't get me there. Don't you know me at all? We did go to the workshop. <laughs> and actually, on the scale of tasty treats to electric shocks, it was definitely the tasty treats end. Very good fun, and I would recommend it. Um, but I did make it very clear that I was not intending to ever tell a story myself. I was just along for the ride. So then the years passed. Lockdown happened. I think I thought I must be safe. I blame myself for that. <laughs> I should have known. I'm never safe. So then a couple of weeks ago, after a concert, innocently enjoying a drink together, Lucy was there too, and the subject of True Stories Live came up, and tonight's theme. And before I knew what was happening, Siobhan had said the immortal words, how about it? Now, obviously, this is not going to turn into one of those stories of the triumph of the human spirit over supernatural powers, where I finally assert myself and become my own person, because I am, after all, here. But that is the thing. I am here. Now, this is far too early to know whether this is going to turn out to be a tasty treat or an electric shock. Far too early. I still have to hear what Siobhan's going to say for a start. But for now, I'm here. And I'm happy to be here. I couldn't actually rehearse that bit because I didn't know I was going to end up being happy. I did actually have another 
a much funnier version in case things worked out different. But it is True Stories Live. I cannot lie. I am here. I am happy to be here. She's done it again. So thank you. I am going to pass over to Siobhan now. It's her turn. But just a word of warning before I go. If when she's speaking, you happen to catch her eye, look away. <laughs> Better still stand up, walk out and never look back. Just remember, she has supernatural powers. Thank you. She's such a fucking liar. <laughs> I really wasn't expecting that. Um, so, um, a few years ago, uh, Ruth and I did a project together... And um, I have to tell you, I had no idea what she was going to say, genuinely. Um, so a few years ago, Ruth and I did a project together. And at the end of the project, people gave each other cards and presents and stuff. And I got a card. And Ruth had written the following words in the card. I have no idea how you keep managing to persuade me to do these things, but I'm so glad that you do. Love, Ruth. No kisses. If you know Ruth, she doesn't do kisses. She doesn't even do kisses on text messages. Unlike me, this morning I sent a text message asking someone to do, give me a quote for carpets. I put a kiss on it. <laughs> anyway, back to the card. The card said, I have no idea how you keep managing to persuade me to do these things, but I'm so glad you do. And I thought, that's not true. What is she talking about? That's just not right. So, how did we get here? How did we get here to True Stories Live? This is my version of how we got here. <laughs> When I could have been at home, on the sofa, watching Call the Midwife, eating a muffin, drinking Baileys. No, I'm here. When I was at school, at junior school, middle school we called it then, I was really much more interested in the other kids. And then I kind of, I don't know if you all did this, but I kind of branded those other kids in the class. So they were the kids that you were scared of. Jackie Cocker. I was scared of Jackie Cocker. Isn't it funny how we always remember like both their names, the people we were at school with? So people you were scared of. Jackie Cocker, the girls that you kind of really wanted to be, you know, with the perfect flicks and the white nylon socks and the fake fur coats from CNA, Julie Yeoman, Karen Solomon, <laughs> the ones you fancied, Dougie Williams, Jackie Cocker. <laughs> and then there's always one, you know, the one that really inspires you, the one that you actually want to impress. That was Ruth Clark. She was different. She didn't have perfect flicks. She didn't have the white nylon so She didn't need that stuff. She was, first of all, really pretty, and she had no idea. Secondly, she was bright, seriously bright, very clever, and clever in ways that I wasn't clever. Like, she could spell and do maths as well as all the reading stuff. And she was kind. She was kind even to those kids that, frankly, nobody was very kind to. She was kind. And... She played the violin properly. There were a lot of kids play the violin at our school. It was the avenues in the Gone Triangle, you can imagine. But she really, really played the violin properly. And she lived in the most extraordinary house. A really gorgeous, big, rambling, not posh, quite bohemian, big old house with a great big garden, a lovely kitchen. And there was this room upstairs, an attic room. You could go up there and you could climb out of the window and sit on the roof. And there was no television in her house. Can you imagine? No television. There was a music room. 
where she and her siblings played music. She was really impressive. I wanted to impress her because she was impressive. But I didn't think I was impressive enough. So how could I make sure that she still wanted to be my friend? How could I make sure that I was impressing her? Basically, I just made stuff up. I just, like, lied all the time. So, so I, I, I told her, I told her that we were going to sort out what we used to call the third world. Don't call it that anymore, right? We're going to sort it out. We're, we're, I've got this project going. We're, by the way, we're 10 at this point, right? maybe nine, right? I've got this project going. We're going to send all of our clothes to Africa. They definitely need them. I've got the message. We've got to do this. She went along with it, you know. And the thing about, I told her that I was due to inherit a lot of money from my grandfather. I had no, there was no money at all, you know. I was due to inherit a lot of money. So I made up all these stories about what our lives would be like when I inherited this money, the wonderful journeys we'd go on, how we'd live in this great flat in London together. We're having a really cool time. And do you know what? She believed me. Like, this really impressive person, you say something and you see it back in their face, she's believing in me. That's a really, really powerful, lovely thing when someone believes you unquestioningly. It didn't really surprise me that much when Ruth left at the end of what we used to call year three to go to a mysterious posh girls' school. Like, I could never really have imagined her in that concrete jungle, you know, a dog-eat-dog world of comprehensive education in the late 1970s. And she disappeared. She just disappeared. And I really missed her. And then 35 years later, out of the blue, complete coincidence for a mutual friend, we meet again. And she's exactly the same. Exactly the same. She's really bloody clever. She said something to me in the first 15 minutes I was meeting again that was so clever, it took me literally a week to work it out. It was something about text and context and bounding and all that. I'm still not really sure, you know, but it was... (laughs) And also, she'd done really good things, you know. She got a degree. She trained as a social worker and she'd worked with children. She'd retrained again as a psychotherapist. She was helping people who'd suffered really bad trauma. She was living in that splendid house again, but this time with her partner and her three boys. So, of course, I want to impress her. And I want her to be my friend and I want to be her friend. And I find out in those first few months of friendship that she's also really bloody determined so she decided, she won't mind me saying this, she's not a natural runner, right? You don't mind me saying that, do you? But she decided, she decided off her own bat, off her own bat, this has nothing to do with me, by the way, right? That she wanted, she wanted to run 5K in less than 27 minutes or something. She bloody did it. She got a personal trainer. She pounded those streets night after night after night until she ran 5K in, what, 26 minutes or something ridiculous. She decided that she was going to join a choir, but that's not enough for Ruth. She needs to learn to sing. She gets singing lessons. She goes to London for these special singing. She's singing every day. She becomes a really great singer in the choir. She decided that she wanted to be in a theatre production. She didn't like performing. She didn't want to speak. And she decided that the best way to get into this theatre production was to become a female double bass player. <laughs> because she told me, she said to me, well, I'd be indispensable. Everybody would want me if I'm a female double bass player. <laughs> she bought a double bass. She found a better bass teacher in Norfolk and she learned to play the bloody double bass. And what did I do? I want to impress her, right? I want to still be her friend, but I can't, I, 
I have to be honest, luckily, I'm no longer such a fantasist and my compulsive lying has disappeared. So all I can do, basically, is go along with all of the things that she suggests and <laughs> try and be as impressive as possible. And so far, it's going really well because as a result of Ruth's suggestions... I'm now reading non-fiction. We're in a non-fiction book group, which she started. I'm now reading non-fiction. I've discovered that people's actual lives are more interesting, or at least as interesting as people in novels. Who knew? I joined a bloody choir because she booked me onto a singing course. I think she even paid for that singing course. And then we sang in a choir together. We went to Paris together and we stayed in the best hotel on the best street and drank the best cocktails it is possible to drink in Paris. And... We made a show together, and she played the double bass. <laughs> so, when we say, come back to the question, how did I, how did we end up here? Let me tell you. Two weeks ago, maybe three, in the afterglow of a lovely performance that Ruth had been in, after a couple of glasses of wine, Lucy was around. Ruth said to me, do you know what? True Stories Live are doing double trouble. Shall we do it? <laughs> And of course, I wanted to impress her. So I said yes. <laughs> and here we are. Which brings me right back to that card. Dear Siobhan, I don't know how you keep managing to persuade me to do these things, but I'm so glad that you did. Dear Ruth, I don't know how you keep managing to persuade me to do these things, but I'm so glad that you do. Lots of love, Siobhan. Kiss, kiss, kiss. Thank you. <laughs> True Stories Live is a story show and story finding project brought to you by LJ Hope Productions, Norwich Arts Centre and me, Molly Naylor. For more information about all of the work that we do, head to our website truestorieslive.co.uk.